You are listening to the Aging Starts Now podcast, where it's all about responding with confidence to the legal, financial, and personal challenges created by disability, unexpected illness, or simply aging in general. Join us weekly as elder law attorneys Tim Takis, Barbara McGinnis, Chris Johnson, and other members of the Takis McGinnis Elder Care Law Team talk about the tools, techniques, strategies, and services that will make the elder care journey easier for everyone involved. Get ready, because aging starts now. Hi, everyone. Welcome to episode number 75 of the Aging Starts Now podcast. I'm Chris Johnson, attorney and partner here at Tickus McGinnis Elder Care Law. Today, we are talking to Terry Wilson, a veteran service officer in Robertson County, to learn more about the role of VSOs and the services that they can provide. Terry, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Chris. Glad to be here. Well, we're really glad to have you. We appreciate you sharing your time so much and obviously your expertise uh, with our listening audience so that they can be better equipped to handle these things. And I think the first thing all of our listeners want to know is we hear this term VSO, Veteran Service Officer. Tell us what a VSO is. Okay. Well, a VSO, Veteran Service Officer, can go by many names. Uh, You'll have a County Veteran Service Officer, could just be County Service Officer, Uh, can be a Department Service Officer for one of the national organizations, or uh, can actually be what they call an NSO, which is a National Service Officer, which falls under the DAV, which is Disabled American Veterans. Uh, So it kind of goes by many names, but we all do the same job. Uh, The first thing we do, uh, the basic part of it is service-connected benefits, and we help people enroll in VA health care. That's the basic part. Uh, We can uh, help direct them to get their eligibility certificate for home loans, VA home loans, uh, towards sources for job placement, uh, of course, VA health care, medical care, uh, add dependents uh, if they're eligible to add dependents uh, with their disability claim, and then sadly, uh, burial benefits. So we actually assist the surviving spouse with burial benefits. Uh, also make sure they get the, uh, there's a nice presidential memorial certificate that they can get, and then also then the other benefits that a spouse can receive, whether it's, uh, they used to call it the widow's pension, now a survivor's pension, or if they're eligible for dependence indemnity compensation. So those are the things, all the things we look at. Uh, we also can look at non-service connected pension for veterans. Wow. So, so you guys, things. I mean, really the, the, the whole spectrum of benefits you guys can provide assistance both to the veterans and their surviving spouses. I think most people didn't realize how uh, comprehensive the coverage was that VSOs provide. Yeah, we do a considerable amount. Uh, Between 75 and 90% of the claims that go to the Veterans Administration each year originate out of a county veterans service office. Well, and so I wanted to ask you about that, Terry. The uh, we have the, the county VSOs, and then you talked about the uh, department for the national uh, the department ones for the national organizations, and I presume you're talking about the VFW, the VVA, and the American Legion. Do those 
individuals receive the same training as the county VSO or is there different criteria between the two or are they generally interchangeable? Well, actually, as a department service officer, um, we actually can get be- we get better. I'm not I, I don't want to say that the county service officers from the state don't receive good training. They do. Uh, it's just the training we receive on a national level is stepped up considerably. Uh, this is when you're taking 29 classes and you're cramming everything into two and a half days and then doing your test at the end of it, Uh, which, you know, and normally it's flying in or coming in the night before you start and you fly back out the day you finish. Um, And it it, it is tough. Now, COVID this past year has made it to where uh, they've actually done the training virtual, so which has been good uh, on one aspect because I've been able to get more of our county service officers into the virtual part of the American Legion Department Service Officer Training. So I'd say probably about 30% of our county service officers took advantage of this uh, this last time in March. Uh, Our next opportunity is going to be in September, I believe it is, is when our next DSO school is going to be. But the American Legion, ours is done by Bergman & Moore, which is a law firm out of in the uh, D.C. area. And the only thing they do is handle, besides our training, uh, is they handle claims that actually have been denied by the uh, Board of Veteran Appeals. And they feel they have merit to go in front of the CAVIC, which is the court of... uh, Sphere Court of Appeals for Veterans. Uh, so that one, uh, they look at, their firm only handles about 1,800 cases a year. And they go through every page of someone's claim. If there's 20,000 pages, there's two people that look at every single page and make notes about what's wrong and why that veteran should have been granted their claim. I've had... I've had two of my cases go to CAVIC. Uh, One has already been remanded back because they said that the VA did not explore all possible theories as for the uh, cause of his cancer. So what helped me on the front end was their training to make the argument to help them uh, be able to finish it up when they had to go to the CAVIC and then be able to get that pushed back down to the VA level. Wow. So, now, so with the national service officers get a lot of good training. Yeah, it sounds like they do. Well, 29 classes in two and a half days, it, it, it sounds like they just receive an absolute mountain of information, which is great because ha- that knowledge is the key on a lot of these issues. Now, is the national service officer, is that the same thing as an NSO? Do they have even further training b- b- beyond the department ones? Yeah. the Well, the NSOs, which is a uh, national service officer, which is just in the uh, DAV, which is disabled. American veterans, their training is very similar to what we go through. Uh, they're able to argue in front of the VBA, which is the, our BVA, which is Board of Veteran Appeals. We, we're actually qualified to be able to argue in front of the Board of Veteran Appeals. And I've actually wrote written uh, a few arguments that have been in front of BVA. 
And so that's that's been uh, really good. Uh, the goal is is to try to argue and win it uh, before we get to the BVA. Yeah. To try to stay away from the appeals part of it. Um, because it's lengthy, right? That That's the biggest... That, that's what I tell clients is we, we want to win this at the ground level and get those benefits turned on with as little delay as possible. And it's, it's not that there's anything wrong with the appeal process besides it's lengthy. Yeah, it is. It can, and it very well can be. Uh, the tough part on all of it is a lot of times it is – you know, the veteran's health, the veteran's health can really affect uh, which direction we go, um, how we need to proceed with it. If I have one that is uh, their condition is terminal, the last thing I want to do is have to go in front of BVA. Um, but I did have a BVA case that was actually uh, it's for veteran is terminal was actually turned back around in 30 days. Oh, wow. That's that is uh, unusual to say the least. Uh, yes, I, uh, let me tell you, I was shocked. Uh, <laughs> Pleasantly so. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so, what are issues? What are problems that you guys can't help with? Because that list that you laid out—service connected, VA healthcare, uh, job placement, VA home loans. Um, you you add, adding dependents burial. It really seems like you you guys are the jack of all trades. What are issues that you're not able to help with? Okay, um, as long as it's VA related, we can pretty much help with all of it. Uh, some of the things that we get into that we can't do is if uh, a veteran is not competent and they've had to have a fiduciary put in place, we're not able to talk to the fiduciary hub about anything that has to do with their paperwork. We can still access their VA claims folder, but as for talking to the fiduciary hub on anything that they handle uh, money-wise, we cannot, uh, we're not allowed to be able to get any of that information once a fiduciary is put in place. Okay. Uh, getting their civilian records, uh, those we just can't automatically go out and get. Uh, so, always have the veterans uh, or the spouse to go and do the release. Uh, generally, it's a lot quicker because I do not like to send in what they consider to be a naked claim. Uh, I prefer a fully developed claim, which means every bit of information and every bit of evidence I can get to put together. Uh, and then the other thing, uh, I had one today before I can do anything on it, I've got to sit and go back through uh, their entire record for the last three years. That's how long they've been working with their claim. Oh, and wow. so I'm going to go through every one of every page of their S service treatment record. I'm going to do every page of the personnel record, uh, just about every compensation and pension exam that was done, looking for the errors that needs to be. Uh, and one of the biggest errors and or the quickest one that's to catch is to look at the doctor at the bottom of the, uh, the compensation and pension exam and then check their credentials and find out that they are not uh, proficient in, in the area 
that they were examining for. Yep, that's funny. I just ran into that one recently, uh, and we 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 took it to the higher level review, and it got approved. They uh, they kicked it back to have it looked at someone by. Uh, by someone who possesses a little more competency in the area, the uh, so I, I you've got a couple questions percolating in my head. So uh, that's a great example. When you're doing these page by page reviews of the medical records, that can be overwhelming. What are the other like highlight items that you look for uh, as you're going through these medical records and you're searching because something has been denied. What are you looking for? I, I thought it was a great example to say, hey, the, a doctor who's unqualified. What are other issues that are uh, pretty common? Well, when I'm looking through their service treatment records, I'm going through there and actually I've gotten to where I can scan through them fairly quickly. Uh, I'm looking, the key things I'm looking for is anything that has to do uh, with an injury. Uh, you know, you'll see a lot of uh, uh, things, stomach aches, you know, things of that nature right there could have been food poisoning. And so just trying to scan through that as quickly as possible because uh, well, some of them can be a lot of pages, especially if they're a retiree. Uh, so, you know, when you got 20 plus years of records you're looking through, that can take a little while. Oh, yeah. There's but, no doubt. Uh, also, if they had an LOD that was done, LODs automatically jump out because I uh, definitely want to see what was that incident that, that that happened on that. Yeah, and that's for people, for our listeners, that's a line of duty determination. That's yep. where there's been a significant event, uh, typically with injuries, and the military did an investigation to determine if this occurred in the line of duty. Yep. Um, because if, if the line of duty is uh, essentially approved, um, that means that it is service-related uh, de facto, and so yeah. that's important. Now, you yeah. said another term, Terry, that I thought was interesting. I know what you're talking about. Our listeners might not. And that's that you don't like to do a naked claim. Tell our listeners what that is, Vice, this uh, fully developed claim that you talked about and why a naked claim is not the way to go. Because this is a real interesting point that I think our listeners are probably unaware of. Yeah. Well, a naked claim is one to where we know there's issues and the issues are put on the claim form, but yet there's no supporting um, documentation going with it. Uh, there's nothing there to point out that the injury occurred in service. There's no n nothing there that relates to treatment that's been done since state of service. Uh, no, done. Uh, dictate that there was any diagnosis. Uh, so a good example of that is going to be uh, filing for the ringing in the ears, tinnitus. The majority of the people that will file that one will not send anything with it, and nine times out of ten, the VA will deny it. And, of course, each time you get a denial, that, that hill gets a little steeper uh, as for trying to come up with new evidence. Uh, typically, you can go back and fight that because, uh, you know, what did, what did the veteran do? Did they Were they in the boiler room? Uh, were they on an aircraft carrier? Were they enlisted? I know if you're enlisted on an aircraft carrier, your birthing section, I don't care where you are on the ship or what your duty is, but your birthing area is underneath the flight deck. And it's loud. Uh, <laughs> so uh, if they were in artillery, you know, if they were radio operators, you know, did they op 
you know, were they door gunners on a chopper? Uh, those things all come into play. And unfortunately, we have to break it down um, in, I hate to say, really simple terms, but we've got to break it down really simple to the VA. I've had to go as far as to say uh, a good example is one I had. He had been denied four times for tinnitus. They never supplied any evidence any time, oh. just, just as DD-214. First thing I looked at, he worked on a rocket. He was uh, operated a rocket launcher. Oh, okay. So I took what it was, looked it up, found the decibel rating for it, how long he'd done it. Uh, you know, the ears start uh, at what decibel reading, the ears start developing problems, how long he'd had it. Uh, I mean, everything was there. It was completely spelled out to him. If they had denied me again, that one would have went straight to the BVA. Yeah. And I would have had an easy argument on it. But as it was, they granted they came back and said, hey, it is. Uh, so I prefer a fully developed claim. That means every uh, civilian medical record. We don't have to get VA records. That's great. They get that. It's push of a button. Um, but the civilian records, got to have those. Yeah. Uh, those are, I mean, they're gold. And, of course, anything over 10 years, we're not going to be able to get them. But as long as they're... Uh, I usually use eight years as the cutoff. Okay, no, that's a great point. And and when you don't do the fully developed claim, you mentioned that one you've been fighting for three years, probably because they they when they started with someone else, they didn't they didn't do a fully developed claim, and that's what happens. And people don't understand how painful it is to keep up that fight over the course of years, especially for something that you know has a nexus to their service and that they should be compensated for. It frustrates everyone uh, yeah. and it's painful. The uh, So let's talk about how you guys provide the services. Do people have to compensate you? Is it free? How does that work? Okay. Our services to our veterans and our spouses is always free. Uh, being a county employee, uh, we're paid by the county, so the county property taxes is what pays us. So our thing is, is how I rate how we're doing is by how much money comes into the county through the VA to our veterans. And as long as I can see that number go up or I can see it maintain, I know that we're doing our job to the best of our ability here. Uh, I kind of use... Um, kind of five to six times the amount of veterans that you have in the county should be about where you should be at VA money-wise, if okay. not more. How, is, it, is it overwhelming as a VSO when you're, when you're serving every veteran in the county? I'll, I'll bet that can be overwhelming at times. Uh, it, it can be. It can be. And then if you happen to get really good at what you do, uh, then – Everybody starts referring everyone in the surrounding area to you. Uh, then the next thing you know, you start getting calls from out of state. Uh, you wouldn't know anything about that, would you, Terry? No, 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 not at all. Not at all. <laughs> oh, you're cracking me up. Like so I said, a really good, really good service officer, you know. Uh, <laughs> that's right. Well, what do they say? More Good work is rewarded with more work, and that's – 
the uh, but I, I know we all know what your reputation is and why you're on here. You, you, you know this stuff inside and out. So here's the question. How do people find their local VSO? Does every county have one out there, all counties in Tennessee? How does that work? Well, we have 95 counties in Tennessee. Not every county has one. Uh, some counties are just, uh, they're, they're too small or the veteran population is too low or they don't have the money to be able to afford uh, to hire one. And the pay scale across the state is just, there is such a disparity in it. Uh, and the amount of hours, some, there are some counties to where the service officer only works one day a week. You can't do anything in one day. Um I was, uh, when I first started, I worked three days a week, 24 hours a week. Actually, I was working about 60, 60, 70 hours a week. But, you know, it it all depends on whether you're there to warm a chair or you're there to actually help your brothers and sisters. And me, I've always been here to help our brothers and sisters. So that's, I usually go the extra mile. Um but the majority of the counties, I'd say we probably have service officers in about 90 out of 95 counties. Uh, some, some of them are close enough to where it's easier to go to the neighboring county. Not all service officers are the same. Uh, you will find some good service officers and you will find some that you uh, are to, they are to retire and go fishing. Uh, <laughs> You're very polite. That's a very tactful way of putting that to you. <laughs> But it is, uh, but our services are always free. And because, you know, one, you know, they shouldn't pay to get VA paperwork done. And according to the VA guidelines, they're not supposed to pay. But once they hit that appeal, uh, once they have to go to the appeal, if they want to have legal representation, then they will need to get in touch with a law firm to have them involved and to be able to go ahead and, uh, of course, they'll do their percentage or whatever they do there. But at that point in time, once an attorney is involved, we are completely out of it. We can't look at it. We can't touch it. Um, and the only way we can is if we have a release, a written release from, from the law firm. It's the only time we can even pick one back up and touch it. Right. That's uh, kind of the baton handoff if they yeah. decide to go that route. And yeah, and it's it's a big no-no. And so uh, so I'm very adamant about the fact of making sure that, you know, one thing I don't want to do is I don't want to cross uh, uh, roads with, uh, with, with any firm because I want to keep a good – my thing is to keep a good working relationship with everyone. That's right. That's absolutely right. And well, – you know, if they're if and if folks are elderly, then and if they have an estate, my biggest advice to all of them is when should you start planning your estate? Uh, yesterday. That's right. No, I, <laughs> yesterday. Couldn't, I couldn't say it better, Terry. I could uh, not say that better. Because if you come into my office and I'm, I'm helping you and there's an estate, you, you should have already been planning yesterday because today is too late. That's exactly right. We want we want people taken care of because you got to look at everything. Well, I think it's amazing the work that you do. You obviously know that as we've you and I have worked together on issues in the past. The uh, and, and you're right. The uh, 
those VSOs that are out there that know what they're doing and doing real sharp work, they're rewarded with more. And I know you've got rewarded with a, a way more than your share, but we're very glad that you're out there and serving the veteran community here in Tennessee. Um, they're better off for it. So thank you for sharing your time, knowledge, and expertise, Terry. That's going to be it for today's episode. Thank you all for listening. Tagus McGinnis is a life care planning law firm helping families respond to the legal and financial challenges challenges caused by chronic illness or disability of an elderly loved one. Join us next week for another episode of Aging Starts Now. Thank you for listening to the Aging Starts Now podcast. For more information about today's show, visit tn-elderlaw.com, click on the free resources tab, and then click on Aging Starts Now. You'll find the show notes there. And while you're at it, why not check out all the free resources available at tn-elderlaw.com. Document downloads, the Tagus McGinnis blog, educational videos, informative articles, helpful links, a TV show, and more. It's all there free for the taking. If you enjoy listening to the Aging Starts Now podcast, please subscribe, rate the show, or leave us a review. It's easy to do on whatever app you use to listen. We would love your feedback on the show. Aging Starts Now. We'll be back next week with more candid discussions about challenges created by aging, disability, and unexpected illness.